Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,424. Make sure that the client is satisfied. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYA and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from New York, New York, Mitchell Proner. Hey, Mitchell, are you, I won't say buckled up and ready for a fun ride. Do you have your helmet on, your gloves on? Are you ready for a fun ride? Yeah, my, and my kickstand's up. <laughs> yeah, that's important too. I learned that lesson the hard way many, many years ago when I used to ride bikes in, in high school. Mitchell Proner is recognized as one of the most talented and experienced trial advocates in the country. He has represented clients in over 30 jurisdictions across five continents. He has lectured to bar associations and attorney groups in the United States, Canada, and Europe on how to represent accident victims. Mitchell has appeared as a legal analyst on numerous news broadcasts, including CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, WPIX, and on news channels on European television and South American networks and radio, including the BBC and RAI International. Mitchell has been a passionate motorcycle rider for over 25 years and rides a 2018 Harley-Davidson Road Glide and a 1993 Harley-Davidson Heritage Softail. And he always does it with his clothes on. So sorry about that, Mitchell, but it was for an interesting introduction. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion that you have for riding bikes and helping people that ride bikes as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So 
I've been practicing law for over 30 years, and I've been riding motorcycles longer than that. I started riding dirt bikes as a as a kid and got my first street legal bike when I was in college. It was a 1974 Yamaha DOHC 750, and I've had a motorcycle ever since. Unfortunately, not only have I... Have I I'm an experienced rider. I'm also an experienced accident victim. I, I broke my wrist, my ankle, and seven bones in my back when a cab didn't stop for a, a red light back in the early 90s. But approximately 120,000 miles on, on my bike since then. So I'm, I'm still an avid rider. And uh, I also became, by uh, emerging of my passions, I, I became a motorcycle rights advocate. And I still ride. I represent motorcycle rights groups. I represent motorcycle clubs. I represent independent riders. I still try cases all over the country. I, I just finished a case in Buffalo, New York, and tomorrow I'm going to Connecticut. My passion is, is work and, and riding motorcycles. I, I don't play golf. This is what I do. And I'm happy to be on your show. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I'm happy to have you here. You know, some people say, well, cars, yeah, what does that have to do with motorcycles? And I always say, if it rolls on rubber, I love it. I started riding bikes, um, dirt bikes, when I was in junior high and high school. We used to go down to Baja, California with my family and camp on the beach. And my sister and I would ride a little Honda Trail 70s up and down the, the beach. And then my good friend Bobby had a, a fleet of cool Yamaha dirt bikes. He used to ride those. And I rode street bikes for a while, including a MV Agusta F4 and a Ducati Monster. So I love bikes. Love anything that rolls on rubber, and I love the fact that you're out there helping bikes, uh, riders of bikes, uh, who are in accidents uh, to help them recover in many, many ways. So we're going to learn a lot more about you, but first, as we start this journey of yours, I want to ask you for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that has meaning for you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires rolling here on Cars, yeah? So Mitchell, grab the handlebars and twist the wrist. (laughs) Wow. So I think the most important thing regarding my practice of law is to make sure that the client is satisfied. And a lot of times getting satisfaction for the rider is difficult because there's prejudice out there. I think that um, with car enthusiasts, sometimes there are stereotypes involved. Um, You know, if somebody shows up with a hot rod or or a um, antique motor vehicle, or, or if somebody's a, uh, a Corvette enthusiast, or, or a Ferrari enthusiast, or, or a Chevy enthusiast, you're likely to be stereotyped one way or another. Some people love it, and, and some people don't. With motorcyclists, inevitably, they're stereotyped. So when I'm in court or, or leaving the office and I'm wearing a suit, I get treated one way. When I get off my bike and I'm a little bit dirty from the road, people look at me a little differently. And so I guess my mantra is with all my clients, I try to give them zealous representation, fair but ethical and and competent. And um, I guess my mantra would be always work hard to make sure your client's satisfied. Oh, absolutely. And don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, what you rep- what you just talked about is really important. We all have bias. And I shared with Mitchell the fact that I was on a jury pool about a month ago. It was a very interesting experience. I'd never 
been on one before. I've been called up many times, but never got to actually be on one. And the they talked about unintended bias at the beginning of this. They actually spoke to us about that and trying to dissolve your brain of that. And I would imagine being a lawyer and somebody as seasoned as you, you have to you have to battle that with guys on bikes, right? Because most people think of bike riders as these hoodlums and outlaws and kind of a lower level of society in some way. But many times that's not the case, right? I actually, I've taught a, a course now for over 20 years uh, on handling the motorcycle accident case. And one of the first things I talk about is how to get past that. Most people think to ride a motorcycle, you got to be crazy. And <laughs> yeah, maybe, that's what my maybe, mom said when I jumped on one. Maybe that's maybe that's true. Maybe you have to be a little bit crazy, but at the same rate, there are rules of the road, and all motorists have to obey the rules of the road. And if an operator of a car or a truck or a bus or another motorcycle doesn't obey the rules of the road, they can and should be held accountable if they cause damage to another individual. So you have to hold people responsible for the ramifications of their actions. So when I'm picking a jury, naturally, I have to address those issues with the jury and, and sort of get them thinking a little bit. Um, and uh, now people oftentimes they say, oh, I don't like motorcycles, but I could be fair. And I think in, in any other uh, way of life, people would say, well, that's not fair to begin with. Because let's suppose it was a pie eating contest and somebody makes a apple pie and somebody makes a cherry pie. And the judge says, okay, I'm going to judge this pie eating contest, this pie baking contest, but I don't like cherry pie. But I'll put that aside and I'll try and be fair. The natural reaction would be, you know, maybe we should get a judge that doesn't have a bias against one of the pies to decide this. Yes. And, yeah. and trying to get that fair jury, it's just like getting a judge who's not having to put aside their bias against motorcycles. Let's get somebody who's going to start them off at the same starting line before the, the trial even begins. You know, you must know the judge that spoke to me and the jury pool that I was a part of, because that's the exact story he told us. I mean, word for word. I, I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, were you in the courtroom, Mitchell? Yeah, you know, we got a lot of that adages. When I start off the case... I, I say to the, I, and my adversary sometimes tease me about this years later, but I, I say to uh, the jury, and a lot of times it's it, it, different motivations. It kind of wakes them up when I say it, but I, I tell the room, I don't like tuna. My wife, she loves tuna. When I'm not around, she makes a sandwich with mayonnaise and celery, and she loves it. But me, ever since I was a little kid, if one of my sisters, had an open can of tuna and put it in the fridge. If I opened up that refrigerator, no matter how hungry I was, if I smelled that tuna in the refrigerator, I had to just close the refrigerator. I couldn't even see what food was in there. I just didn't like it. Now, this case is not about tuna, but if it was about tuna, I wouldn't be a good juror. Everybody has biases, preferences, things that happened to their Aunt Gertie when they were six or or different experience in their life that color their attitudes about different issues. And I'll be asking you some questions and some of the questions are personal questions. And I'm going to try and get into some of your preferences and, and likes and dislikes to see if perhaps you would be a good juror for the case or maybe be a better juror sitting on another case. That way, as attorneys, we're not deciding this case on your outward appearance. 
or another prejudice that might not be fair. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is a really interesting topic that I think we could talk about for hours. Uh, Certainly something you have to deal with as an attorney in the courtroom, and it really made me think quite a lot. In fact, I do a weekly blog. I'm thinking about writing a blog. My blog is very short because I know people don't have the time to read things, but about unintended bias, because especially this day and age, social media and so forth, uh, oh, it's so prevalent, and it's just a challenge for people to get past that intended or unintended bias. So interesting topic, but uh, yeah, the cherry pie and the berry pie. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, let's talk about a story that instigated your personal passion for motorcycles. You talked about starting to ride dirt bikes like I did as a kid. Really fun thing to do. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were going to be a bike guy for life? It was actually one day. So I I rode mini bikes when I was a kid. Um, I don't think I rode anything bigger than a uh, 75cc mini bike. I grew up in New York, so we're pretty much uh, not doing it exactly legally. Well, let's not let's not let the judge hear that. <laughs> and uh, well, I think the statute of limitations has passed on on the. Oh, good. You know, okay, we're safe. <laughs> we're looking at over forty years ago. But anyway, yeah. And then I stopped stopped riding, and I was in college and had a neighbor who had a bike. He asked me if I wanted to buy his bike, and I said, "I don't know how to ride a motorcycle." He said, "Have you ever ridden a bicycle?" I said, "Yes." He said, have you ever had any experience with with, uh, a motorcycle? I said, mini bikes when I was a kid. He says, it's all the same. You'll be fine. Just try it around the parking lot. I went three times around the parking lot, left the parking lot, went out on the roads, went on the highways. I came back. It was well after dark. My girlfriend had ended up calling the police in the hospital. <laughs> she thought you were in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> she thought something had to happen with me because, I, you know, she said he, he says he's never ridden a motorcycle before. And we haven't seen him in eight hours. Yeah. And, um, oh, my gosh. That's I, hilarious. I, I fell in love with it. I, I uh, Yeah. I actually even rode through the living room of my fraternity that same day. <laughs> it was. Uh, what? I'm going to start calling you John Belushi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was uh, and it wasn't, I didn't go quite that large a flight of stairs, but um, yeah. I, I just, I just had, <laughs> oh, I had so much fun. I, I had so much fun. And uh, I bought the motorcycle from him. I, I don't think I, I think I might have spent $200 for it. And I think the motorcycle only lasted me about a month and a half. And I burnt out the statter and I found out it would have cost like $650 to fix it. And I only spent $200 on it. So I junked it and then immediately got after that, I got a Harley Davidson Sportster and then I rode that um, and then sold that, got a second Sportster. And that was a 1983. It was one of the last years of the iron Sportsters. Shortly after that, they went to the uh, all aluminum. It was a thousand cc's. And I rode that all over. I, I, I rode that day and night. That was my only means of transportation. Uh, and not only did I ride it, I pushed it when it ran out of gas. I broke down. I fixed it. And I, I had that bike until I had a pretty serious crash at night. And then um, ever since then, I've, I've rode much bigger bikes, touring bikes, that uh, yeah. you know, the yeah. big sleds. I think I took you back to some memories there, same like yeah. as you were telling us those stories. So 
Very cool. Well, I would love for you to talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you faced in your life or your career. Uh, The reason I like this question is more about the learning lesson that it taught you and how you took that experience and how it helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your business and your life afterwards. So kind of take us back in time and walk us through one of those difficult challenges. So I represent a lot of motorcycle clubs, and um, I've represented some pretty scary guys. And uh, they're the people that when, when you look at them, you think, you know, this type of people you've, you, you've seen and, and maybe crossed the street because you didn't want to deal with them. But I've represented them in terms of their rights. And, and uh, one time I was with a group of motorcycle clubs and it was in a facility that uh, was a gun club. That was down a dirt road, and I drove past the entrance to the to the road maybe three or four times before I realized there was a road there. And then finally, I go down this dirt road, and there was about a hundred bikes parked outside. They have um, the club had uh, prospects running security, and that's individuals that weren't full fledged members of the club of one of the clubs. And I told them I was invited to speak. They said, okay, wait here. And then they confirmed that I was in fact invited and they told me where to go. And I went up two flights of stairs into this meeting room. And in this meeting room, there were probably 50 guys. And um, although at the time, I think my hair was pretty long, pretty short now, but at the time it was pretty long. These guys were huge and uh, they were all tatted up and um they weren't smiling to to a, a single one of them i started to talk and i said to the group that um one of the most common infringements on their civil rights is that they might be unfairly surveilled and some of the materials that might be uh found could be used against them to portray them in a false light and it, they could incur consequences that even if they did nothing wrong, if a criminal action is brought against them, that if their name is cleared, oftentimes it's not cleared with the same publicity as the original arrest. And they could lose a job and they could pay money on a criminal attorney. And even if they clear the name, they don't get back their job and they don't get back the money that they spent on a criminal attorney. And as I'm speaking, one of the guys in the room says to me, who the F are you? And we don't know who you are, and you're talking like one of us is a rat, and maybe you're a rat. And I said, no, 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 that's not my intention at all. And he said, well, we don't know who the F you are. All of us have to do certain things to get into our clubs, and you didn't have to do anything to come in here, and who the F are you? And he started to get very aggressive with me. So I said to the room, look, I was invited here to give you information. If the information that I'm giving you, you don't appreciate, that's fine. I'll leave and you'll never see me again. But I think that should be a decision made not by one individual, but made by the group of you as a majority. So I'm going to step outside and you could vote on this. And and after you vote, if you vote that I should leave, you'll never see me again. And if you vote, I should stay, then I'll continue speaking about the issues that I think are important for your well-being. And now, while I'm giving this speech, because this was like a gun club or something, there's a constant 
background noise of guns being shot. Yeah, to add to the ambience. Just like, by the way, the uh, the sirens, as you were talking, we didn't plan that, by the way, listeners. He's from New York, so there you go. But I like the way that came in. Nicely done. So while I'm <laughs> talking, it goes... Yeah, sure. Yeah, to add to the ambience. <laughs> and I go out the door, and I walk down two flights of stairs, and I go over to my motorcycle, and I'm sitting on the seat of my motorcycle. And I see a guy come out the door on the, the top, because it was an outdoor stairway, I could see the top. And he walks out the door two steps, and he points to me, and he waves, come up. So I start to go over to the stair, wait, and a prospect on the bottom of the stairs says, where are you going? I said, I'm supposed to go back in the meeting. He says, no, I was told not to let anybody in. And he's, the prospect's much bigger than me. And and, uh, and I'm six foot, 190 pounds, but I'm like uh, much smaller than these guys. So now I go back over to the bike and the guy on the top of the stairs comes out again, points to me more aggressively and points with his thumb into the room again more aggressively. And then he walks back into the room. I go back over the stairs and the prospect says, I told you, you can't get in there. And I said, I know you keep telling me I can't get in there. But on the top of the stairs, the guy keeps waving me in. So you should go up the stairs and straighten out with him. Yeah, exactly. Duh. <laughs> so he talks to someone. He sends somebody upstairs and the guy goes upstairs. Then that guy comes downstairs. And then the prospect at the bottom of the stairs says, you could come in, <laughs> go up Jeez. the stairs. So now I start walking up the stairs, gunfire in the background. Now, as I start walking up the stairs, the guy that was yelling at me in the room, he starts walking down the stairs with two guys behind him, and he looks angry. And I'm thinking to myself, is this guy going to hit me? I I can't, I can't believe this guy's going to, going to, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? But I went to a pretty tough high school. Uh, It's a place called um, Mount Vernon High School famous for uh, nowadays for basketball players and, and rappers. P. Diddy went there and Denzel Washington's from Mount Vernon and the overweight lover, Heavy D. <laughs> anyway, I've gotten to fights in my life before and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I'm going to get into a fight, I get into a fight. It's not going to be the end of the world. I don't think they're going to kill me. And I'm not going to turn around. I'm just going to keep walking up the stairs. And as I'm walking up the stairs, all of a sudden the guy who was like angry with me, he stops walking and he stops on the landing. And now I'm thinking, why did he stop walking? And I'm thinking, if he's on a landing and I'm below him, that's at a pretty big disadvantage in a fight, especially with two guys behind him. And yeah, I'm thinking, he's got the upper ground. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is not good. But I say, I'm going to keep walking. And I keep walking, and the guy moves till I get my path. And I don't, I stand there, and then one of the guys behind the guy who was aggressive with me says, Leave the old man alone. And I wasn't sure who the old man was because... It was him or you. (laughs) The guy in front of me was a little bit older than me, but I was pretty young at the time. I think I was, you know... Anyway, the guy in front of me moves to the side, and I continue to walk up the stairs, and I go into the room, and they say, go ahead with your talk. And I said, okay, and I continued. After that... Now, what I do is accident cases. I'm not a criminal attorney. I do accident cases. And after that day, I got so many calls, everything from slip and falls to 
car accidents to pharmaceutical litigation to medical malpractice from the guys in that room that you had no idea. And they're the most grateful clients. They're so courteous to the people in my office, my secretaries, my paralegals. They say those guys are so nice. You wouldn't think it from looking at them, but these guys are such nice guys. They're they're so they're such wonderful clients. When I'm done with their cases, they say thank you for everything you do for us. And yeah. wow. year, years <laughs> later, I said to one of the guys, I said to him, you know, I was really scared that day, and uh, I didn't know what that was all about. And the guy said to me, we deal with a lot of people. We were just trying to check your mud. We didn't think you'd come back into the room. Yeah. We if didn't you think were serious. We didn't think you'd make it up the stairs. Yeah. But you did. And there after that, we, after that, we trusted you. So yeah. that, that's a, a pretty well, unusual story, but the story's all true. Well, it goes back to the original thought. Don't judge a book by its cover. And, uh, you know, everybody needs some uh, support and help no matter what. So, wow, what a story. Well, you passed muster. So as they say, or. Your mud was good, Mitchell. So thanks for a wild story. That's a first here. Well, let's talk about your first really special motorcycle. That first motorcycle in your life that had great meaning for you. What was it? I have to say the uh, 1993 Heritage Softail. I rode that bike in all sorts of weather, over 100,000 miles. I rode it across the country. I rode it to rallies. I rode it to um, everything from... I rode it a lot. I rode that motorcycle. Um, so it's air cooled, which means it could get pretty hot. If they, uh, the bikes tend to run better when it's cold, but in hot weather, they can get pretty hot. So you got to keep moving. It's the type of motorcycle that when you get over, theoretically, if you get over 85 miles an hour, it starts to vibrate so much that you can't see out the mirrors. Not that I would be riding it that fast, but if I happened to do so, I can assure you that's what would happen. Nonetheless, it's a pretty comfortable ride. You know, like I guess like cars to a lot of your uh, listeners, it's like an old friend for me now. So I don't ride it as much anymore. I still have it registered and it's legally an antique now. I much prefer riding my road glide because it's a more comfortable ride. And uh, it's just easier to and more fun, I have to say, getting on the uh, the newer bike with it's got the newer bike's got ABS anti-lock brakes. It's got uh, a radio. It's a smoother ride. It's more comfortable for the long haul. It doesn't vibrate. But that 93, I still have it. And it's like it's like an old friend. And I still start it up, and I, I still keep it on a trickle charger during the winter so that it starts up in the spring. And uh, sometimes I have to jet the carburetor, and I got to keep it with with bikes. You know, they they especially the older ones, they're not so easy to start. So I got to from time to time change the battery, even though I got it on a trickle charger. And that's that's pretty much it. That's that's I guess my my uh, my favorite bike. Yeah, absolutely. My 750 mo- uh, Monster, Ducati Monster, was oil-cooled. And, yeah, if you weren't in hot weather, if you weren't moving all the time, that thing would get hot. Uh, so sitting in traffic would be a problem, but uh, very cool. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about current projects for you. Um, tell our listeners a little bit more. You've talked a lot about what you do, but a little bit more about what has you excited about your law practice these days. So I try cases. Um, I just finished the trial, as I mentioned, up in Buffalo. It was a case involving a guy on a motorcycle, and he was approaching an intersection, and a woman who had just gotten off work had made a right on red. So he was going northbound in a fourth in a four-way intersection. She was going westbound. She made a right turn to go northbound, but he was already in the intersection when she made the right turn and she didn't see him. So he locked up both front and rear brake and he swerved and he skidded and he went down and he sustained injuries. The insurance carrier said they weren't going to pay because there was no contact. And even if there was contact, there was going, it was going to be a hit in the rear, which would have been his fault otherwise. And I pointed out that, no, you can't make a right of red unless the intersection is clear from other vehicles legally using that intersection. And since he was using the intersection, he had the right of way. And if he sustained injuries that were as a result of her violating the vehicle and traffic law, then she owed him the damages. So. They made me try the case thinking that, I guess, first of all, they thought that perhaps a lawyer from Manhattan wasn't going to go up to Buffalo to try a case, but I took the case on and I did. And then they thought that it, perhaps a jury wasn't going to go against this nice lady on behalf of this biker who uh, wasn't the most sympathetic of plaintiffs. So I had to deal with that. And um, the jury held the woman 100% at fault. And that evening, I, I flew back to New York City from Buffalo. It's about an hour, hour and a half flight. And at about nine o'clock, my client called me up and he said to me, I just had to tell you, and this is a guy who's uh, 52 years old. He said, I just had to tell you, today was the best day of my life. I love you, bro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, finally, somebody... Somebody treated him kind, like a human being, and took care of him. And, uh, you know, from what you just explained, yeah, she shouldn't have turned in front of him. So she's at fault. Pretty simple. Uh, but it kind of goes to what you said before. How do our, our listeners learn more about you and your practice? Do you have a website? I do. It's, it's uh, www.prolaw1.com. Prolaw1, P-R-O-L-A-W, the number one, dot com. Or if you just Google Proner, P-R-O-N-E-R, I'm sure I'll show up. Like I said, I, 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 you know, I don't just do motorcycle accident cases. I was actually lead counsel for the victims of the Costa Concordia shipwreck, which some some of your listeners might remember. It was a, a ship that was larger than the Titanic that uh, had sunk because the captain, a guy named Scatino in, in Italy, actually crashed it. And it was on the 13th of January of 2012, and mm -hmm. um, there were 4,500 people on board. The ship oh, that I remember that. Yeah, it hit a rock and tipped over on its side. And exactly. Yeah, I remember that. I was actually uh, lead counsel for the victims of that, and represented people from all over the world. And um, so I don't just do uh, motorcycle accident cases. I get involved in a lot of different cases, um, but. You know, they could call me and yeah. discuss any, any type of accent they've had. And, and there you go. Very cool. Yeah. I remember that case. That chip laid there on its side for a long time until they figured out what to do with that 
Uh, obviously, a lot of people injured. Were there some deaths in that case? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, 32 people died. A lot of people, yeah. Ah, tragic. Well, Mitchell, up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal or twist the wrist, as I say. Let's say thank you to today's Garcia sponsors. When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new AVS2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com. To check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out, enter cars yeah in the coupon code and get 10% off your order. That's Edelbrock, automotive performance since 1938. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. All right, Mitchell, we are back and I have a bit of an introspective question for you. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a motorcycle parked in your garage, what kind of bike would Mitchell be and why? Oh, it's, you know, I'm going to alienate some people because like, like you mentioned, you had a, a Ducati, a beautiful bike. Other people love Triumph. So for me, it would have to be a Harley Davidson and it would have to be a road glide because that, that's what I ride and, and my favorite bike right now. There you go. Perfect. Well, Mitchell, we're entering what I call the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that Harley throttle. So here we go. What's the best motorcycle advice you've ever received? Ride like you're invisible because you are. The other motors out there don't see you. When another car pulls up to a stop sign, you think they're going to respect your right of way, but they don't. They pull out of parking lots into your path. Ride like you're invisible because the other motorists don't see you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll remind everybody, although we're going into wintertime right now and a lot of bikes will be off the road, they're still out there. So really think about it when you're driving. Think there could be a bike. And I just came back from California where they can split lanes down there. And oh my gosh, saw so many bikers almost get hit coming down splitting lanes very fast in heavy freeway traffic. So Always triple check your mirrors for bikes because they are hard to see. That's for sure. How about a personal habit of yours that you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Oh, 
Preparation, preparation, preparation. <laughs> yeah. If you're leaving things to chance, you're preparing for failure. And I think yep. that everything you got to do, you got to wake up in the morning and try and plan your work and work your plan. Yeah, absolutely. How about a resource? Is there one out there that you really like, maybe that relates to motorcycles? I think that um, there's a uh, a tremendous over-reliance on the internet, and, and probably rightly so. There's a tremendous amount of information out there. But I think with when it comes to riding, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think that the resource that I, I've gotten a lot of benefit out of is from talking to experts in my sp- specific areas in the field of accident reconstruction with talented engineers. Uh, I think that um, probably if you're going to get advice on the internet about motorcycles, you want to check the source and make sure that you're getting advice from an engineer rather than from somebody that's just repeating old wives' tales. There you go. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the motorcycle industry? Who would that be? Living or deceased? I'll add that little caveat. Uh, I would say probably uh, Arlen Ness. He's no longer with us, but uh, his name lives on as an American motorcycle designer and uh, entrepreneur known for custom motorcycles. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we lost him just this year, last March. Uh, Arlen passed away. Um, I had a chance to meet him one time. Amazing guy, uh, especially in the auto or motorcycle industry. Is there a book, Mitchell, that you've read that you'd like to share with our listeners you think they should crack open and read? I'd like to say uh, something profound and 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 worthy, but um, there was a book that was a long time ago um, called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And, and I oh, yeah. I wish that it had more to do with motorcycles or automotive, but it's just kind of like uh, an interesting book on how you can live a quality life. So, you know, I, I, I wish, you know, I could tell you, read the Bible or, or, or something else uh, equally powerful, but uh, it's kind of a, uh, I, I, the book was printed in the 70s and it's, it's more of a fun read. Yeah, that book is really more of a book of philosophy. My son gave me that book uh, years and years ago. Um, it's by Michael Kramer, I think, uh, if they got the author right, or Ro- oh, Persig, Robert Persig. Yeah, that was the author. Uh, it, it is a good book. It surprised me, too. It was very different. I actually had to kind of stop and reread some areas. Like, wait, this isn't what I was expecting, but great book. Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. All right, Mitchell, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question is a fun one, but it, it can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector motorcycle that exists out there. Something really cool that you could have in your garage, ride it once in a while, maybe park it in your office, no matter what. But here are the rules to the game that make it a little bit of a challenge. It's the only cool bike you can have. You can keep your daily rider. Uh, You have to ride it once in a while. No garage queens allowed here. And it's the only collector motorcycle that you can own. What can I buy you? The hard part is uh, that you have to ride it. Um, so <laughs> well, at least once that, in a while, maybe around the parking lot. <laughs> For you, that means a all day ride. I would say, you know, people might say like a knucklehead or a panhead, or you know, in terms of Harley's. But I would probably go back with like a maybe something like a '57 Sportster that um, was in good condition that uh, you could still kick start and get it going. That would probably be yeah. the one. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I can find you one of those. I think that'd be pretty cool. Is there something about 1957 that stands out for you? 
Not no no certainly not. I I mean I know that uh, Harley had some good years and some bad years and in, in in the seventies were supposedly bad years. I think the only thing about uh, I'm born in '63, so '57 is before my time. So nothing specific about that year. Just that I I know that pretty cool time for motorcycling and motorcycle yeah. Uh, building. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I know about '57 and Harley's is I believe, and someone's going to correct me if I blow this, that that was the first year of the Harley Davidson Sportster X. That was a, a very special year. You think about what was going on in '57. I think that was the year Sputnik One. Uh, blasted into space, you know, the Russians and the space race going on. And uh, there was some important uh, European economic community treaties that happened. Of course, we've got Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis and little Richard rocking around the clock. But uh, yeah, I believe that's when the first Sportster came out. So maybe that's a subliminal message in your head why you want that 57. That's de- No, that's without a doubt the first year that they made the Sportster. That's what yeah, that there you that's, go. But thank there you. There you go. You're welcome. I'm happy to get you one of those. Mitchell, you've taken us on a great ride today. I knew this would be fun. Thank you for sharing your journey with our listeners. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or legal guidance before you ride off into the sunset in that 57 sports? Wow. Keep the shiny side up. (laughs) Always when it comes to a motorcycle. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll remind our listeners again, I'll put links to, to the legal firm that Mitchell's with here today so that you can reach out if Hopefully, you don't need a legal help, but when you do, and inevitably at some point in life you might, uh, you can reach out at www.prolawandthenumber1.com. I'll put a link to that on Mitchell's show notes page. Mitchell, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your life with our listeners and that very, very uh, edge-of-the-seat story of hanging out talking to that biker group. I can't imagine. I've talked in front of some groups I haven't had that experience, and I hope I don't. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Mark. All the best. You're welcome. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!